great to be back with the church on a regular Sunday for me. Uh, Joan and I were out of town last week, um, last weekend, and the weekend before we had what I think might go down as one of the great days in the history of our church. The first baptisms we ever had at the church, 450 people came, 35 people got baptized. But then the week before that, um, I've been on staff here for around 20 years. I've never missed a Sunday. Um, in all of those years, and I don't say that boastfully, I mean, I'm paid to be here on Sunday, so, right, I shouldn't miss a Sunday, but uh, I've come up and I've preached through, you know, stomach sicknesses and back spasms, uh, inadvertently preached through COVID one time. Um, last Sunday, last, or three Sundays ago, uh, during the second service, I, uh, Pete filled in for me, Pete Ammerman, um, which was wonderful because it was at the last minute. During the second service, I delivered a bouncing baby kidney stone right at the Morristown Memorial Hospital. So, uh, so uh, yeah, it was uh, everything you've ever heard about a kidney stone, absolutely true. Um, you don't want one. <laughs> but I am back, baby, and I am, uh, I am ready to begin, ready to start uh, this summer together and a new series. Yesterday, I went to... Um, Tuscarora Inn. I don't know if you know where that is. Tuscarora Inn Conference Center. It's over the Delaware River. It's just, uh, just literally over the river in Mount Bethel, Pennsylvania. My kids all grew up going to camp there, junior week and, and during their high school years. And that tradition actually has just kind of exploded in our church with tons of our, our kids in our church going to Tuscarora for, uh, for junior week. And, and a lot of the counselors and the administration now is run uh, by folks that call Mendham Hills home. So that's exciting for me. Anyway, I was on my way to pick my son Caleb up. Uh, Caleb had volunteered there all week. He'd been serving. And I was coming from a different starting point than I usually do. And I thought, well, maybe there's a, a different way to Tuscarora from where I am than, than the way I know. And so I popped up um, Google Maps, and I put in, put in Tuscarora, and I headed out, right? But as I was driving, and I've made this drive a million times, I, I, I began to realize something that seems to really rarely happen uh, on Google Maps. When it came to Tuscarora, which was my desired destination, Google Maps seemed to have no idea, although it claimed to, it had no idea of what it was talking about, where I wanted to go, right? The path that Google kept insisting, by the way, incessantly telling me how incorrect I was over and over and over again, the path they wanted me to take was just wrong. Actually, it was, I've never actually seen this before. When I got off Route 80 at the exit for, for, for Tuscarora, which is a six-minute drive from the exit to Tuscarora, might be two miles, I don't know, Google Maps, as I got off the exit, said, I have to go right to go to Tuscarora, and it's five minutes down the road. Google Maps told me to go left, and I still had 22 minutes left to drive. Bizarre, right? Like I'd never seen it before. And so what do you do when faced with those circumstances, right? I went right. Two paths were offered. I, I chose the one that the most up-to-date GPS tracking software in the world told me was the wrong way. I went the other way. And you know what happened? I was there in six minutes. Now, I have to tell you, that is not my usual experience when I ignore my GPS. Most of the time, I go, this thing doesn't know what it's talking about. I ignore it at my own peril, and I often wind up stuck somewhere going, why didn't I listen to what it was telling me? But this time, for some reason, it worked out. Now, I was reflecting on that experience when I got home last night, especially in light of what we're going to spend our summer talking about together. We are kicking off this morning a new series called Modern Problems, Ancient Solutions. And as we always do during the summer, we'll have 
um, several voices coming to speak into it. It won't just be me. But what we're going to be looking at, and, and I would say what we're going to be going after more than looking at, right, is what I, what I discovered yesterday, what I needed yesterday. I, I knew where it was that I wanted to end up. Yesterday it was at camp. For most of you, for most of us, right, uh, we're talking this is a bigger life issue, where it is you want to end up. And yesterday I had two paths to choose. Yesterday, all of the available research, science, the collective, collective intelligence, intelligence of all, of all directional, directional and digital, digital knowledge, knowledge for all of time, time collected, collected and distributed, distributed by Google, Google told me to go, go one way, way to, to get, get there. there. And, and I made, I made a, different a different choice. choice. It, turned it turned out it was, was the, the right, right one. one. And so, so as, as I, I reflected, reflected on it last night, I started thinking, what, what was it that allowed me to so confidently ignore the knowledge that was before me? to go, to, go um, to the right and not to the left. What if I had gone left? Where would I have wound up? I know I wouldn't have gotten to where I wanted to go. I would have wound up in somewhere a half hour away when it told me I was there and I wouldn't have been there. Now, most of us have lived long enough to know this, right? That we as humans, we have an amazing propensity. I mean, it's like it's our day job to choose paths that don't lead in the direction that we actually want to go. For much of our decision-making, we lean hard into a couple of things. The first is our intentions, right, or, or, or following our heart. Or we lean into the available knowledge. And once we do, we tend to pay very little attention to the direction, then, that we've chosen. You ever done that with your GPS, just started following it, and all of a sudden you're like, I didn't pay any attention. I'm nowhere near I wanted to, where I wanted to be. We tend to follow intention or knowledge, even religion often blindly. The wisdom of the age, right, seems to say today that as long as your intentions are good, as long as you do your own research and you try your best, well, you'll wind up in a good place. But look, most of us have lived long enough to know that that is just not true. And so what we're going to spend our summer pursuing is something that you hear very little clamor for in the streets of our, our, our culture or in our churches. The culture clamors for data and knowledge, right? Science is the guide to everything. Religion, on the other hand, tends towards moral codes and principles and rules and convictions. And all of those things are good things. Knowledge, principles... There's only one problem. It's this. It's that the vast majority of problems that you and I face today, the decisions that we need, need, we need to make, science and religion doesn't do a good job. Uh, moral codes, scientific facts, they don't do a good job informing us or helping make those decisions. I mean, sure, if I don't feel well, right? Knowledge would help me figure out what was wrong and what steps I should take, what medication I should take. If I find myself attracted to my neighbor's wife, right? Religion, moral code, principles, they would keep me from, from doing something that I shouldn't do. They would help me discern right from wrong. But what about, let's just be honest, what about all of the other problems and choices that we face day after day after day? I mean, big questions, right? Questions like, who should I marry? Should I marry? Should I date this guy? Should I break up with that girl? What job should I take? Should I quit? 
Should we move or should we stay here? Should I confront him or just let it go? What, what am I supposed to do when my spouse cheats? What am I supposed to do when my kid comes home with a black eye? How do I know what to do when science or religion simply don't give me the answer? Where do you go? What do you seek? What is it that the ancients actually longed for and valued, but today we seem to disdain? The answer is wisdom. Wisdom. What is it? What is, what is, what is wisdom? How, how do we get it? That's what we're going to be chasing down this summer. And to do that, we're going to go through one of the three books, one of the three wisdom books in the Bible, the book of Proverbs. Now, when you hear or you think about a proverb, what we tend to think about are short, kind of pithy, witty sayings that, that offer some advice. And the book of Proverbs has plenty of those. In fact, it has hundreds and hundreds of them. So rest easy, we will not be going through every proverb. But most of those Proverbs are actually found in the center of the book. There is a way more challenging um, thing going on in Proverbs than pithy sayings, particularly in the opening chapters of the book. And, and, and I want to show you what I mean. Let me jump in. Here's how this ancient book of wisdom, if you had a, a physical Bible in front of you today, if you were to drop it, it would probably open to the book of Proverbs. It's an Old Testament book, one of three wisdom books. It begins like this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. There's a very famous story in the history of the people of Israel where Solomon is given a choice by God of what to ask him for, and Solomon chooses, above all other things of the earth, wisdom. And God, as he had promised, he answers Solomon's prayer, and Solomon becomes well-known as the wisest man to ever have lived. The scriptures actually indicate that, that Solomon wrote down thousands and thousands of proverbs and poems. He collected knowledge on all kinds of topics. And so while, not, while every proverb in the book of Proverbs is not written by Solomon, most of them were part of his collection. It's really pretty incredible to think about. You have this book. I mean, I don't know why we don't. When's the last time you spent some time in Proverbs, right? You have a book here by one of the, the ancient king of Israel, known widely as the wisest man to ever have lived. The knowledge was imparted to him by God in answer to a prayer. Here we sit in Mendham, New Jersey. It's 2023. You have access to that kind of wisdom. This book was written a thousand years B.C. We never look at it. Talk about a treasure, right? And so the introduction continues. It kind of just, the, the, the author, who is Solomon, gives the point of why I'm writing this down. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instructions in prudent behavior, doing what's right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So there is this grand purpose laid out in the opening couple of sentences of Solomon's writings. And they are there so that you and I, though we ignore them at our own peril, like the GPS in some sense, that you and I might gain wisdom. Now there's a huge key to everything that we're going to be looking at this summer. And it's this that we are to pursue 
wisdom and the importance of wisdom. When you and I think about wisdom, what we tend to think about is knowledge, right? But the Hebrew word for wisdom, chokhmah, chokhmah, it meant way, I mean, you're going to see this morning, this concept of wisdom means way more than you could ever imagine. Chokhmah has a lot baked into it other than just simply knowing things. It, It is, it was used for artists. It is in some sense, if you were to pursue chokhmah, it is the art of knowledge, Artisans in ancient Israel were, were, were called were called chokmah. Wisdom is is something for 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 us. It is it's not something that you merely have. It's it's something that you you administer. You artistically use to design your life. You apply wisdom like an artist uses a brush or or a chisel. You use it to build your good life in God's good world. Now, after this intro, we find, before we get to what we know as the parables, there are ten speeches. It's really interesting. I encourage you to go home and read this. It is so interesting. It starts, the first ten chapters aren't really the parables that you're familiar with. The first ten chapters are, are, are really speeches from a father to a son. Solomon kind of invents this father, and, and the father begins to speak to his son. The father is trying to, like any good father would, to try to teach and train his son how you live well in this world that God has created. He begins, listen, my son, to your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teachings. They are a garland to grace your head and a, a chain to adorn your neck. Towards that end, the father introduces his son to a profoundly You'll see how profound. A profoundly interesting character. A woman that has become known as Lady Wisdom. In other words, wisdom for the son and for you and I, it leaps off the page from being some kind of dry, dry instruction, right? And poetically, Proverbs actually is a poem. It is a giant poem, right? In this poem... Poetically, wisdom becomes for the father, as he's trying to impart it to his son, a woman. Can I get an amen from the ladies? (laughs) That was one deep-sounding lady in the back. (laughs) But hey. (laughs) And so the father begins to describe this this lady wisdom this way to his son. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the walls, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? We are uh, are right now in a a phase culturally of, of deconstructing everything. There are mockers everywhere. Repent, she says at my rebuke, and then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. You see, wisdom, super important to get this now. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is not words. It's a woman. And it's a woman who calls out at the city gate that harkens back to the Old Testament stories where the elders in Israel, they would gather to make their decisions at the city gate. That's where they would meet to discuss and discern the Lord's will. She cries out, in a sense, at the crossroads of the community for everyone in the community to abandon their simple ways of thinking and to embrace her. In fact, 
That's what the father implores the son to do. Listen, it's so cool. It's just a giant story of a father talking to a son about this woman. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to, to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. And so, Lady Wisdom exists with an offer of life. She holds it in her right hand, and in her left hand are also riches and honor. Her paths, there's that word there, right? Her paths, her way, she has a path to offer, and it's a path of peace. And again, what, what is, is she? She is a tree of life. It's a reference. We can begin to hear this here. It's a reference back to our creation. It's a reference back to the Old Testament. If you know the story of creation in Genesis 1 through 3, what sits at the garden, the center of the Garden of Eden? The tree of life. And when man falls and we're, we're removed from the Garden of Eden, where we wind up right east of Eden, what are we cut off from? Very specifically, we are cut off from the tree of life. This is why we all die. Lady Wisdom offers you a way back to the way things were supposed to be, but aren't. Super interesting. Which is why the father goes on to implore his son, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget my words or turn away from them. I mean, anybody have, have young children? I mean, most of us, if I said, if you've got like a 16, 18, 22-year-old, if I said to you, describe your, describe your kid to me, almost no one starts with, well, they're very wise, just loaded with wisdom. Often I go to them for hard decisions in my life. <laughs> this is why the father is imploring them, listen, 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 this is so important. You need to go after this. Go after wisdom. Don't forget my words. Don't turn away from them. Don't forsake wisdom. Here's why. Because if, if you don't, she'll protect you. Listen to these words. It's so good. Love her, and she'll watch over you. The beginning of, of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it cost all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. This person of wisdom, the, the Father says that this person is worthy of pursuit, and the pursuit will have a cost. But my son, I'm telling you, life is worth what it will cost to spend your days chasing after her. And the personification, right? Cherish her. Cherish her. And she'll exalt you. Embrace her, and she'll honor you. Have you ever said to you know? If you were, get, in a sense, you're offered the same thing Solomon was. What do you want? Have, have, when's the last time you said to God, "I just want to be wise"? And so, what do we have with this person? Well, she has the ability to give life. She's worthy of pursuit at all costs. One who can be should be cherished and embraced, but. And again, if this story sounds a little familiar, it is constantly hearkening us back to the creation story. But there is in the story 
another character lurking. It's another way. It's another path. And it's again personified as another woman. One who has become known over the centuries as Lady Folly. And so the, the father begins to introduce his son to this other character. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman, this other woman, they drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. There's another voice in the garden that speaks of life and wisdom, but lies. My son, don't listen to her. It will lead to your death. There are two women. There are two paths, and they both cry out, one, one with words of truth and, and life, the other with words of deception. They sound so good, but in, in the end, her path is death. And, and so the father begins to tell the son a story. And again, just I just love what the scripture does. You can read the story, and it's like a diamond. You can turn it, and you can see every kind of facet in this story. I don't have enough time to get into all of them. And, and you can go home. It's, it's, in, it's in chapter 7. You should read it. But here's what the father, the father begins to craft a story for the son. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice, he said. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight. And as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. This is like going back to watching Dallas in the 70s, right? Can you just kind of feel it playing out? A youth who had no sense. What did he lack? Wisdom. In fact, here's what science, where science meets the 3,000-year-old story, right? What we know now, Solomon understood then, the frontal lobe of the human brain does not fully develop until the mid-20s. The frontal lobe is where your reasoning skills reside. This explains why adolescents often engage in high-risk activities. This is why bungee jumping is a thing somehow. They don't make the connection between their choices, their paths, and their consequences, their destinations. He was, he was thinking simply, or today, as we might crassly put it, he was not thinking with his head, but with other parts of his body. And so the father goes on. He probably doesn't need to, right? He doesn't really need to go on. Most of us know what's about to go down. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that it's always easier to see the paths that others are on, where the, where pa the paths that others are on that are, and where it's going to lead them, right? Like, how many times have you looked at a friend and said, oh, I know where this is going, but yet we, 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 we often can't see the path we're on. Well, the father goes on. He says, with pervasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once, he followed her. Anybody, this is sounding familiar, right? Back to Genesis 1 through 3. And all at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. Listen to the detail. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. 
Do not let your heart turn towards her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. I mean, could there be a more descriptive poignant warning about Lady Folly? She is a trap. Don't stray into her path. Notice we stray. Oftentimes we stray into her path. We don't set out to, to walk it, but we stray into it without intention. Many are the victims she's brought down. She's slain a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave. ACDC used this as inspiration for a very famous song, right? Leading to the chambers of death. I doubt that they did. But. And so what does Solomon set up through these speeches of the Father? In a very real sense, he has set up, he has set up this catfight that sits at the center of the universe between Lady Wisdom, who, make no mistake, wants you desperately. She cries out at the crossroads of the community, but so does Lady Folly. They both want you. They both have words that they want you to listen to, paths for you to choose, but one leads to death and the other life. And all of these stories, they culminate together in chapter 8 of Proverbs, theologians would argue this is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. In fact, I'll show you this in a minute. It was chapter 8 of Proverbs that Jesus' first disciples, the early church, um, would meet and look at this and discuss this. Many of the early church gatherings where they were trying to lay out theology, they would go back to Proverbs chapter 8 to understand who Jesus was. So in chapter 8, Lady Wisdom shows up for her final speech, her final argument, her closing argument, her culminating call in the catfight for your soul. And here's what she says. She says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I don't know if you remember, that's what the father had said to the son earlier. In fact, she embodies the choice Solomon once made himself, right, for wisdom over all of these things. What Solomon now knows and wants us to hear, what the father is telling the son, what Lady Wisdom is offering to each of us is the most precious thing that you could get on God's good earth. And it's not gold, it's not rubies, it's not success or fame or fortune. By the way, those aren't bad things necessarily. In fact, Lady Wisdom offers those. But don't chase them, she says. Chase me. Chase me. What these first eight chapters are arguing is that there is nothing on earth more important, more valuable, more worthy of pursuing at great cost than wisdom. See, you and I, we pursue changed circumstances. I challenge you to track your prayers. What do we pray for most often? We pray for a change in our circumstances. Have you ever noticed when your circumstances are wonder wonderful, your prayer life tends not to be all that great? And when your circumstances stink, you pray a lot, but you're mostly praying for a change of circumstances. Wisdom is offering you something so much greater. It is the ability to flourish despite your circumstances. No matter what they are, good or bad, you prevail. I mean, you, you know this, right? How many stories do we know of people who have everything? They have everything, right? It's like when God was handing out the, uh, dealing out the cards, they got four aces. They have all the money you could want, the beauty, the smarts, the intellect, the personality, the accomplishments, the titles. 
and their lives are complete shipwrecks. Over and over and over again. We see it over and over and over again. Families destroyed, legacies lost, reputations in tatters. They had everything but one thing. They lacked wisdom. And what Lady Wisdom offers, right, is so much more than what science or, or mere religion could give you. Science says follow the knowledge. If you just know more, if you just expand the data, you'll do better. And of course, knowledge is part of the package of wisdom. Religion offers moral rules and laws, ethics and principles. And of course, wisdom carries those things too. But wisdom is so much more. I'll be going to Guatemala, and when I get down there, I'm going to bring both of those things. I'm going to bring all of my knowledge of 20-plus years of going to the, the garbage dump of how I can help the poor, and, and I'm going to bring with me my moral compass, the principles, the purpose of why I'm called as a follower of Jesus towards justice and why I need to, to lay down my life so that they might live. I'm going to have, I'm going to have the, the science and the data, and I'm going to have the religion and the rules but here's, here's the thing. If I don't go down there, if I have no wisdom, I'll destroy everything. One of the first things when I went to Potter's house, when I, when I first walked through the, the, the garbage dump, and, and, and all I saw were children. I remember the first time I saw a little girl, she had a cut on her foot. And uh, she was walking barefoot through the garbage. And at one point, her foot was bleeding, and she noticed it. So she sat down, and there was a um, a puddle full of some milky white substance. And she sat down and she put her foot in the puddle to clean out the wound. And it just broke my heart. And my initial thought was I wanted to do two things. I was like, I'm going to empty my bank account and just give money to all these people. We're, we're going to fix this. And I wanted to bring them all home. And Potter's House, our partner on the ground there, had the wisdom to say that's not going to help them. That's not what they need. See, see John, you, you have a lot of knowledge right? And, and, and you, 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 your heart has been moved towards their cause. The Lord has called you to it. But what you lack, my ignorant friend, is wisdom, right? Wisdom. Without wisdom, I, I have the same propensity, fast forward this to your home. Without wisdom, I have the same propensity to ruin my life and the lives of those around me. Because I act on knowledge or I act on a moral code. But I don't have wisdom. I'm lacking the peace that brings it together. Parents, right? Uh, Proverbs speak to parents. Parents, what do you want more for your children? Do you want, do you want more resources for your children? Do you want them to have a, a second or a third house? Do you want them to have a nicer car than the one you were able to give them? Do you want them to have more knowledge, right? Do you want, want them to go to a, a better school to make sure that they, 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 can, they can maintain, you know, a higher GPA? Or do you want wisdom for how to raise your children? Think about what we spend all of our time on for our kids. Nobody cries out for wisdom. How valuable is it to you? Because it comes at a cost. This is how important wisdom is. This is why Lady Wisdom calls out wrong decisions in so many areas of our lives, wrong paths taken because we merely follow knowledge, right? Like my GPS. Well, this has all of the knowledge. I'm going to go in this direction. Or, or ethical principles. And of course, you should follow ethical principles. They're part of wisdom. But neither of these things answers the vast majority of questions that we face in our lives. We need something more. We need what Lady Wisdom is offering. 
It's that important. Or you're going to make a big mess of your life. You're going to make a big mess of your life. And you're likely going to mess up the lives of those you influence. Lady Wisdom goes on to describe herself more fully. She says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule the earth. She says, I have insight. Such a wonderful definition here of, of what wisdom is. Tim Keller and his wife actually wrote an entire one-year devotion on Proverbs. And, and when it gets to this part of, of, of the proverb, he says that the Hebrew word here for insight means uh, wisdom says, I have insight. It means knowing how things really work, knowing how things really happen. She's offering you insight, a glimpse behind the scene. Do you want to know how things really work in this world? Secondly, she says she dwells with what comes with her is prudence. And that word means to notice and discern the unseen things, the little things, the distinctions, to know how things work despite how they might look. And so what you have is you have wisdom saying, I can tell you how things really work in this world, and then I can tell you how things really are in this world despite what you see. And lastly, by me, kings reign and govern justly. The third thing she offers you is not just how things work, not just how things are, but then, and good kings know this, what do I do about it? If I know these things, now what do I do? This is what you've been looking for your whole life. One author summed up wisdom this way. It is competence in regards to the reality of life. It is being an artist and understanding how to design your life. Knowing how things work, how they really are, and what to do about it. It's quite an offer. And Lady Wisdom says something then mind-blowing. The early church, this is the part the early church wrestled with for centuries. Listen to this. She goes, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when, when the world came to be. When there was no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there, Lady Wisdom says, when he set the heavens in place and when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when God gave the seas its boundaries so the waters wouldn't overlap or overstep his commands, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. This should sound a little familiar. Lady Wisdom says, I was with the Lord when he made everything that was made. I was right there before the mountains and the seas. I was there before he made them and before he made you. When he made everything, I was part of it. Don't you see? Knowledge, wisdom is not something written on a page. Wisdom is what's behind the scene. When he made everything, I was involved in it. I am part of the very fabric of creation. 
The grain of creation goes towards wisdom, bends towards wisdom. It is, it is woven into the creation. This is why wisdom works. If God created the world according to wisdom, with wisdom, then wisdom which made the world, wisdom which Lady Wisdom promises to reveal to us, what's being offered to you is to understand the fabric pattern. The way this whole thing works. Do you understand what you've been offered? A glimpse behind the scene. It's like gravity, right? Gra gravity is a force at work in the universe. When we understand it, right, our lives go fine. But ignore gravity at your own peril. It's the same thing with wisdom. Does the pattern always work? No. You and I know that, right? These are parables. They are not promises. In fact, the books of wisdom also include Ecclesiastes and Job, right? And you need to read them in conjunction with the Proverbs. They argue that, yes, while there is wisdom, the pattern, as Job could tell you, does not always hold. Parables are not promises. They are probabilities. Ecclesiastes and Job show that they don't always hold. Train up a child in the way they should go, and in the end they will not depart from it. Is this true? Yes. Is it probable? Yes. Is it a promise? No. But there's wisdom here. There is a pattern to the way the world works, and wisdom is behind it. And so what you have is lady wisdom. You have an abstract quality turned into a, a person. A person. This father is speaking to his son. This book of Proverbs was, was used in schools to train up young men. And so when he's speaking to a son, why over and over is wisdom depicted as a woman who calls out? Why? Why to a young man is wisdom depicted as a woman crying out? Because wisdom is not a matter of following rules. Wisdom is an affair of the heart. It is a longing for someone like a young woman would long for a beautiful woman. Or the wrong woman. What the early church discovered, what John, Jesus' disciple, realized in reading chapter 8 is that wisdom really is a person which calls, which longs for you, who calls to you, who wants a relationship with you. An actual living guide, the, the ultimate counselor, a wonderful counselor. Jesus' disciple John, he opens his gospel almost completely based on lady wisdom, on Proverbs chapter 8. Some of you know it, it's pretty famous. In the beginning was the word. That word in the Greek word is the word logos. It carries with it the concept, the connotation of wisdom. Some have argued a valid translation, a value of a valid translation of John 1 would be in the beginning was wisdom and the wisdom was with God and wisdom was God wisdom was with God in the beginning through wisdom all things were made without wisdom nothing was made that's been made Paul would go on to say that Jesus is the wisdom of God and so what Solomon is telling us what he's saying is here's what true wisdom is it's a person it's Jesus that was a much better amen than that last effeminate one. Wisdom can be found. It can be pursued. Will it cost you something? Of course it would. Jesus said, right, pick up your cross and follow me. Is there a cost? Of course there is, but there is life here, don't you see? I'm going to close with this one, one practical um, thing and then one question. 
Um, actually, Pete, who filled in for me a couple weeks ago, later on this summer, he's going to come up and he's, gonna, he's already chosen his proverb. If you know Pete, 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 I asked Pete if he'd preach on a proverb and he came back to me in five minutes. Yeah, here it is. Fe- Pete's going to preach on this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the practical. If you want to understand how the world works, right, begin to fear the Lord. Not terror, but reverence and awe. Understanding that the world was created by him. He knows how it works, and he wants you to know. He wants all of these good things for his children in his good world. All it means is I'm going to have to get to the point where I go, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. I need to follow these things. My life will likely go much better. And then there's the question. I'll end with the question because you're going to have to answer it all summer as we go through these Proverbs. Lady Wisdom has made her case. She's told you who she is. Into the very fabric of creation, you've been invited behind the veil. And then in chapter 9, there's dueling invitations. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and she's mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants. She calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. But there's another invitation. There was in the garden, and there is today. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city. It's very similar, right? There are two houses, two ways, two paths, two women. Calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and that her, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. There are two women and two invitations. Choose wisdom or choose folly. This summer, you decide. Let's stand and close the song.